this is how I like start and we're like okay let me get my breath back get some English back in my brain (laughs) (laughs) I just finished pounding my coffee so I'm I'm caffeinated I'm ready to go oh I love it (laughs) right Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Paths Uncovered, um, a podcast where we get to talk about all the untraditional pathways that people have taken into technology and create a little platform for all the representation out there. And today I've got another great guest and I have legit just, I keep trying to come up with a really cool way of doing introductions and I keep failing because I keep just saying I've got a really great guest because they all are. Uh, But I've got Chris Howard with me and I'll let her do her own introductions. Oh, well, thank you very much. Uh, as you said, my name's Chris. Um, you'll notice the accent. I I grew up in the States. Uh, I married an Aussie and lived in Sydney for the last 20, well, not the last, but I lived in Sydney for like 20 years where the bulk of my tech career was. And then last year we moved to Munich, Germany in the middle of the pandemic. So we've just hit one year in Germany and um, I'm yeah, it's flown by. Uh, I work for Amazon Web Services, but I have been a developer, a BA, a people leader, all different things in my career. I'm sure we'll get into all that today. Exactly. I love it. This is like the ideal start. I mean, you told me you started a podcast during lockdown. I started a knitting stream on Twitch. Yeah, look, <laughs> like, you know let's what? talk about how <laughs> desperate I was for human contact. Right. Look, let's take it all the way back. Talk to me around. I know. Oh, it's gosh. Well, but look, Talk to me about high school, kind of college times. What were the decisions? Like, what were the original pathways that you'd kind of foreseen for yourself? Yeah, well, I grew up in Indiana, which is the boring part no one's ever visited in the middle of the U.S. And uh, my mom actually, it was interesting. We always had a computer. Like, we got a computer pretty early when I was a kid. We had one of the Atari personal computers that were the first ones to come out. And... Look, it wasn't like we were a very, neither of my parents had gone to college. We weren't a very, you know, like academic family or anything like that. I think it was just my mom was always really curious about it. So from the age of like, by the time I was in school, we always had a computer. And so it was never scary to me. Uh, You know, I didn't, I wasn't like, and some of the guys my age, you know, they're like, oh, I was building (laughs) them and putting them together. No, I didn't do that. I, I played games on them. I, I, you know, wrote some programs and things, but never like super tinkery, just like I used them. They were a tool. And um, as I got older, my mom moved into like, she got basically ended up working her way into being a sysadmin at the local manufacturing company, entirely self-taught. So I had this strong female role model in tech in my house. And by the time I went off to, to college, and in the U.S., unlike, say, other places like Australia, you don't have to know what you're going <laughs> to yeah. do when you go. You know, you get it and then you figure it out. And so I, I got in and I spent, I pretty much put off the decision as long as I could of what I was going to do. And the thing is, the computer science building, it was this horrible concrete building filled with guys who'd always been, like, tinkering. And I looked at the courses and it was like, you're going to write C. I didn't want to do that. I was learning about the Internet. This is when the Internet was really taking off. I wanted to build websites. I didn't want to write little C programs. And so I'm like, I'm not going to do that. Um, I ended up doing a film and theater degree uh, because writing and talking to people and um, presenting, I'd always done speech team, a competitive speech team in high school. These were the things that I loved and was passionate about. And I used my computer skills to support, to, to, to in that respect, I built a website in college for Roald Dahl um, which is still going 25 oh, wow. years later, 20, yes. Um, <laughs> RoldDollFans.com, if anyone's keen. Uh, but yeah, so I didn't do the computer, I, I didn't do the computer science degree and it's 
something in a I good think or a bad way do you think in terms of like do you regret not having done it or you're like yes I'm glad I did all these other things that I still was able to then do computers afterwards computers programming I think yeah. I regret not doing it I think I regret not doing it because um I I heard a great talk at Geek Girl Sydney meetup many years ago um it was uh who did the talk I think it was Katie Bell um who's an amazing person you should have her on the show too uh, Katie Bell um, was talking, I believe it was Katie, about the book um, Growth Mindset by Carol Dweck and was just sort of like doing like a book report for this meetup and was talking about how how many times do girls who are praised for being smart, because I was always smart, I was the valedictorian in my high school class, young women who are praised for being smart uh, get afraid oh. to do new things that they might not be good at. And I really sort of wonder how many things I turned down because I was worried I wasn't going to be good at them. And I suspect... Computer science was the ultimate one there. I think I, 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 I really, in my heart of hearts, think that I probably turned it down. I've justified it to myself. I didn't want to do that. Those guys didn't look like me. I was intimidated. It didn't feel welcoming. When really I suspect at the bottom I was afraid. I did the thing I knew I would be good at as opposed to the thing that would challenge me. Um, so there's a bit of regret there. I, I, I haven't, I don't think, I would say I needed it for my career. I've carved out a pretty decent career without it, but I, I saw some Facebook meme this morning that was like, go back to your 18-year-old self. What In three years, what would you say? And I actually thought to myself, I would probably say, do computer science. I feel very seen by the um, statement of like, yes, I mean, I mean, I was smart in school too. And you're like, yeah, of course I'll do this. And I was like, I got maths in school. Therefore, I did a degree in maths, which, God, huge regrets <laughs> <laughs> at times. <laughs> I say at times, because I mean, there's a lot of good stuff that came out of that degree. But at the same time, I just kind of picked it because that was the alternative like I was like okay cool I'll do it um but yeah god that was thanks for that kind of reflectiveness on this Sunday evening <laughs> it's an amazing book if you I mean you don't have to read the whole book because it kind of gets repetitive but there's like a, I think a TED talk or a YouTube watch it because it it changed my life like after I heard her give that talk I started consciously doing things that I that I, I didn't want to, I did a three-day Haskell programming course, the Queensland Functional Programming Group did, is the hardest thing I ever did. I came home, this was like two years ago, three years ago, I came home every day in tears from this course. Like the first day I was like, I'm not going back. My husband's like, you're going back. I was like, no. And I forced myself, I was like, I'll just, worst case scenario, I'll just sit there. And guess what? Day two was actually not quite as bad. Day three was not quite as bad. And like 50% of people dropped out. So like just sticking it through, I was like, I did this. I did a welding course, even though I was really worried. I was like, I'm going to suck. Everyone's going to make fun of me. I learned soldering at a Linux conf. All things that before I would have said, I I'm just not interested in that. And the reality was, no, I totally was interested. I was just kind of afraid that yeah. I would suck at it and people would laugh at me. And so I just think growth mindset, growth mindset. And I give it a go. I like it. Oh, I love it. Like, I mean, I've been trying, like, the job I'm in now, which was like a kind of like a jump off the deep end because it was like, oh, it's a senior position. And I'm like, this terrifies me a little bit, but like, we'll do it. It'll be fine, I'm sure. And I was like, I kept telling myself, like, anyone who'd be like, oh, like, why'd you make that decision? And I'm like, it's the one that I was like uncomfortable with. And I was like, so proud of saying that, right? And I was like, I'm, yes, yes. this is it. And at the same time, I'm like, did I like, did I just do that on purpose now where I'm like, I had to be uncomfortable? Like, did I think that fully through? Or was that just a case of like, I have to take the jump? And I'm like, it's interesting how those kind of things work, I think. Or like, yeah, wait, what am I doing? <laughs> I think maybe the other, maybe the other valid three word advice then is do scary things. Yeah, I like that. You know? Whatever scares yeah. you, just do it. <laughs> What's the harm? Yep. 
So what happened then? So you've graduated with film and theater degree. Film and theater? Yes. Yes. Yeah, film and theater. Um, I was lucky enough to do a semester in London as part of that. I always knew I wanted to go overseas. And London, you know, I was a bit of an Anglophile as a kid. And Roald Dahl, obviously, was, I was a big fan of Roald Dahl. So did a semester in London and just loved it so much. And so when I graduated in, in 1999, um, it was the beginning yeah. of the dot-com boom. Like, the, the internet was taking off. And so I would, there was a program called BUNAC, British Universities, North American, something or other. And so I got a six-month work visa. So all I knew after I graduated was I want to be there and I want to build websites. So I went on Yahoo because we didn't have Google. This was pre-Google. And I typed in uh, HTML or web design, web companies <laughs> London. And I emailed them all saying, I know HTML because I built websites through college. And they're all like, great, let's do an interview. And within three days of landing in London, I had a job making more money than most of the people in my family. Um, I, I found a share house in Baker Street with some amazing people who I still correspond with. And it was so fun. I think I was about two weeks in. And I got introduced to this Australian guy that we were going to be on the same project together. And he saw me reading Slashdot. And he was like, love at first sight. <laughs> now he's downstairs playing World of Warcraft. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. And, and that was honestly two, two of the most fun years of my life. Being in London right after college, uh, we felt like we were building the future I did the entire, I wrote the entire front end HTML of McDonald's.co.uk. Uh, that was one project. Um, we built the UK's first wine retailer. I remember that, mad about wine. Um, I mean, other than McDonald's, I think most of the sites I worked on are gone. Like, that's the one sad thing because, you know, we thought we were, like, what we were building was, like, literally we were all going to be millionaires. And, and now I look at the people in the bubble and I think, <laughs> oh, kids, I've been there. Like... We all got stock options and we were going to be rich and everything. And, you know, I ended up in another big share house with what my now husband and a bunch of other people from the office. It was so much fun. And then towards the end, 2001, by 2001, the shine was coming off. Like we started hearing um, like some companies were starting to lay people off. Uh, and then uh, September 11th happened. I remember where I was. I was in London when that happened and coming home that night and watching the news with my partner and we were like, all right, suddenly being in London doesn't feel fun anymore. You know, it, it felt like, all right, maybe we want to not be here. And we started thinking about it. And um, uh, there was a fairly easy pathway to get me into Australia because we'd been together by, you know, a couple years at that point, had lived together for a year. And we're like, oh, there's this de facto spouse thing. I can get into Australia pretty easily. Yeah. It would have been much harder to get him into the U.S., and I visited Sydney and I, I knew I liked Australia. And so, yeah, end of 2001, um, our company started mass layoffs. Um, you know, the market crash happened and we, we basically took the payout. Like we put our hands up for it because it was really nice. It was like yeah. three months salary in British pounds at the time. And so we moved to Sydney, set up <laughs> house and basically didn't work for like a year. And it was it was great. So that's that's how I ended up in Australia. And once I got my work visa approved, um, I started looking for more more web developer jobs. I love it. I think it's like I mean, it's interesting. And I, I talk about this a lot throughout the podcast, where it's people seem to tend to think of careers as like, oh, they made this jump and then they wanted this job and then they wanted this job. And I'm like, well, no, there's people there's people who are living their lives. <laughs> 
and are making decisions based on their lives, not necessarily based on, oh, where's the next big paycheck coming from or what job do I want next? Not necessarily. And it, that, that's kind of the like epitome of it where it's like, well, we moved because this big thing happened. We're like, let's just requali- like qualify what we want with everything at the moment. I'm like, I'm very glad that you talked about this because not enough people do and not enough people put a focus on that aspect of people's journeys. Yeah, I mean, I think you could arguably, like looking back, I could say it might have been better long term for my career to stay. I was by that time, look, I was two years out of uni, but I was one of the most senior, you know, front end developers in the company. I was interviewing already other people. I was helping set standards. And, you know, a couple of the people that I worked with who stayed in the UK in the industry and who like toughed it out during the during the, the, the crash they're now fairly high up in their career. You know, one of them, Christian Heilman, he, he was a developer evangelist for Microsoft, for Firefox. Um, I, I see him now. He's in Germany. Like some of the people I worked with have gone to become really big in the industry. And um, I'm very happy with the choices I made, but I'm always a little bit like, oh, if I'd stayed in London, like I wonder what I could have done. Ah. Yeah. You know, 2020. I, yeah, I get that. And I think, I mean, I think especially with the whole way the lockdowns have gone, I think I think about this all the time because when I moved to Australia, like it was a kind of, I'm leaving in two weeks, see you later. Uh, <laughs> Everyone I've been friends with, I'm like, bye. <laughs> Thanks for getting me through the last later. Um, <laughs> and I think about that a lot, especially over the last little while where I'm like, I see like, all, like I mean, I'm, I'm still very close to like in, keep in touch with all my friends. And I'm like, did I? Was that, was that smart? Like, should I have moved? I mean, yes, like it made so much sense in terms of my career and like my family was here and everything made sense. Yeah. But at the same time, you still think you're like, oh, what would it have been like if I hadn't? Or would it have been different? And it's it's so interesting how those kind of questions will always come up, even though I know I'm pretty okay with everything I've made as a decision so far. I think I think the decisions that I thought were big decisions in the end have not been. And the ones that I didn't realize were, like you don't realize when you're at those big inflection points. Like you don't realize like, whether or not do I do this degree? Is that, am I actually going to regret that? Or uh, whether or not we, we, we leave and go to the U.S. or Australia or stay, not realizing the impact. When you're that young, that's going to yeah. have. Um, and I don't want to like stress people out. Like it turned out okay. It will still, it will likely turn out okay either way. But yeah. you don't realize until 20 years later that you're like, I wonder what would have, you know, sliding doors moment. Like there's another me in London right now, you know, <laughs> going yeah. to work on the tube. And yeah. Oh, perfect. So a year in Sydney, like living up the life, the Australian life that they put through on the tourism boards, I swear, which is just the ideal life. But what happens after the year off? No, it was not. It was not fun that first year. I should. I mean, we didn't work. Oh, okay. This is even better. Tell me about that. (laughs) I didn't know anyone. I had no friends. Oh my God. I feel this so hard. Yes. Talk to me. (laughs) The only people, the only people I knew were my husband's friends, you know, and family because he had some, but we're both computer people as well. So it's not like we were huge social butterflies anyway. And I, I felt very shy. I, 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 I made a patchwork quilt with shirts from the op shop. Like I was just like, I'm just going to do hobbies at home. Like, and the thing that saved me, so I, like I said, I, I went and I discovered this craft store in Sydney at the time called Tapestry Craft, which is now Morris and Sons. Um, and I bought like a cross stitch kit because I was like, my mom was also kind of crafty. So I was like, I'll, I'll take up a hobby while waiting for my work visa. And I'm not a beachy person. And like, what else am I going to do? You know, there was no Netflix back then, yeah. children. <laughs> and so I was like, um, I'll work on my websites and I'll stitch a cross stitch or whatever. And I found this craft messaging board called, I think it was called Glitter back in the day. It was like a craft forum where people would share different craft ideas. 
And I became sort of into that and started, you know, posting on that pre-Twitter as well. <laughs> and um, one day, one of the sort of Australian chats, people were like, oh, do you want to have an in-person meetup in Sydney? And I was like, and we met up at the bar and Martin Place in Sydney. And I remember being really conflicted on whether to go because I'm like, I'm going to go meet up with randoms. And what if they're not nice? And I just remember being so shy. And I went. And they were all lovely. And one of my best friends, um, Amy Allenspaugh, who's back in Sydney, we met at that. And we talk about it now. It was like 20 years ago that we met at that stupid <laughs> message board meetup. And we've been friends to this day. We have a WhatsApp chat open and we chat every single day. And so that was where I felt started to feel like I belonged because I made my yeah. own friends that were separate from like my partner and that we had shared hobbies. And um, so that's when things got really good in Australia. And then I got my work visa and I could get a proper job. You know, I've been doing a little freelancing, but like that's when things started to become good. So the first six months where I was, yes, it was exciting setting up in a new place, but also I just felt very yeah. isolated and alone. And we didn't have, you know, Zoom and stuff to do chats with people. And yeah, I, I did feel a I little get that. isolated. And I think, yeah, I, th I, I don't think anyone I've ever met, I mean, I've, I've met quite a few people who've like relocated like this, like a big, like big city jumps and stuff. And I don't think I've ever met anyone who's been like, in at least it took like six months plus to be like, okay, now I kind of get it. Like now it makes sense. Like, because yeah, when I first moved here, I was just like, I go to work, <laughs> this job I've kind of somehow fallen into and I come home to my family and I was like ah this can't be it I hate it I have I'm leaving like I was dead set on like I'm going back I'm going back to Ireland I can't do this <laughs> uh for like solid like four or five months and then I was like actually no this yeah. is okay like I've, I'm starting to make friends and it's like it makes such a difference when you find your own little community and you're like no I'm okay now this is okay now <laughs> this makes sense it Every big move, I've had that moment. Like, I swear, like, a week after I got to London, I was on the phone. Like, oh, I want to come home. Like, that's so hard by yourself. And then, then I got my share house, made some friends, and I was fine. You know, moving back to Sydney, as I said, I had my partner, but it, it was very isolating for a while. And then moving here, moving here last year, I was, I was fine about when we moved into this apartment. We finally, like, unpacked our suitcases, and it suddenly stopped feeling like a holiday. And I was like, oh, God, what have I done? <laughs> it's okay I think once you know where the supermarket is you know you've got a little bit of like you understand a little bit about what the rhythm of your life is gonna be like <laughs> I like so it routines start coming back into play so what was the next job yeah. after the whole the little hiatus that you took well I had moved beyond just doing html and javascript front end to doing a bit of php um mainly because I had started blogging when I was in London blogging was taking <laughs> this was the heyday of the dot-com movement so blogging was taking off so I was one of the early bloggers and my blog is still technically going you know 20 some years later I don't update as much but back in the day like I was using blogger which then got bought by google and became blogger.com um, but Blogger was slow and I started to get annoyed with some of the features and so I decided to write my own. And so that's when I got into PHP and uh, my partner obviously is a developer as well. He was more on the back end side of things. So he was like, oh, I think this language, this might be the one you would like and sort of put in me in that direction. And so I've been doing PHP. So my first job in Australia, I went and worked for Epson uh, out in North Ride, the computer printer people. I got a job um, as a PHP developer because they were building out some websites, the creative corner. Um, and the idea was to like provide, obviously support, like support information and docs for Epson, but also like stuff that people could print out, you know, and use up more ink. Um, so, you know, I was like designing, uh, designing content, like coloring, finding coloring pages and crossword puzzles and things for kids. Cause we built out like a kid's section. 
And so writing PHP, um, yeah, so I did, I did that for, for a little while. I would say another year or two of doing, doing uh, PHP development and web development. And I got burnt out. I felt burnt out. And um, I talk about this a lot, but I think it hits people in the industry, like between the, the, the dot-com crash and boom and crash and moving to Australia and getting this job and doing this. I suddenly looked around and realized, what are you creating? All the websites you created are gone. You're creating content deliberately so people use it more printer ink. Is that really making the world a better place? Like I just felt, I kind of looked around and realized I didn't, I didn't like what I was doing. I was not feeling very fulfilled by it. And I quit. <laughs> I didn't have a plan. I was just like, I can't, do, I can't do it anymore. And so I quit. And I went into Morrison Sons, the craft <laughs> store, because I by then, you know, I was a regular customer. I'd done a few courses there. I went in and I said, hi, I've just quit my job. Do you do you need anybody? Like, can you will you hire me? And uh, Albert Morris, um, who's a lovely man, did. He hired me and I left the tech industry uh, and went and worked retail for three years. I absolutely love that. And you know what? This is like a recent meme, and I think it's a 21, 2021 thing, but it's just like, oh my God, congratulating your friends more on the fact that they're quitting their jobs and getting oh a new one. I'm just like, I'm obsessed. I love this. I sound so good for you. And I'm like, yes, oh. Chris, I love it. <laughs> Spiritually, I felt so happy. And I mean, uh, I don't want to sugarcoat it. Like people think working in a craft store is like, you know, a dream. No, it's <laughs> hard work. Like standing all day when you have been this like you know ridiculously pampered IT person with like fancy chairs and stuff I was like by the end of day one I was like my legs are dying what is happening I had to go buy like orthopedic shoes so I could stand all day long like you can't wear your chuck sneakers when you're standing all day long you know I vacuumed the floor I I helped customers and like I got to the end of the first week and I'm like I've taken a 50% pay cut to come work here have I made a huge mistake, you know? But I was helping people make things, you know? They were, I was knitting, I learned to knit, um, I think through a course, uh, through a kids learn to knit book, but then also I did some classes with them. I was helping people knit. I was, I was working really hard, but I actually felt like I was earning my money more than I had as like a tech person. Um, I just loved it, I, I really did. And, and Albert and his family became really just wonderful friends of ours. Um, I was there through the rebrand when they rebranded as Morris and Sons. Um, and I actually was like, your website sucks. Can I help with that? Because, and what I discovered was it wasn't the tech industry that I had a problem with. It was what I work yeah. on. And so by, by working with them, by getting to talk directly to our customers, by like being, you know, what, as a customer, what I would really love is a wish list. So I could put what I want and then my family could order things from you. So I built that of like, uh, and this was early days in Australia. Like I remember calling up the different Australian wool companies and being like, hi, I'm building out a comprehensive online shopping catalog of wool. Can you send me digital files of, of you know, your patterns so that people can order them? Why do you want, they was very suspicious. Why do you want that? <laughs> no, we don't want people that, that seems, you know, I don't want people downloading our stuff. And they, no, I'm trying to sell your stuff, idiots. Like, and it was just so fun to solve that problem, to do it in a family business where I could see the impact I was having um, to be able to, you know, and of course, I, as I started doing more and more of the web stuff, I, I basically moved into the management team. I started helping to roster people. I was helping do the, you know, do the, the, the finances and make the bank runs and stuff like that. And 
I, I just loved it. Being part of like the strategy. What are we going to do three sales this year or two? Are we going to make this one classy? Are we going to have sprookers on every street corner, you know? And like helping to run a business and seeing the impact. Of, I think in tech, we're often very divorced from the people who are actually using our services. And I could have people come in and, and actually tell me what they thought about the website. It was so amazing. Um, and I, I loved it. I, I think in many ways, like if, when I, if and when I ever retire, I would probably go back to doing something like that. Like it's ideal. The only problem with it is that in, I knew in the back of my mind all the time in tech, I could be making yeah. twice as much money. And the only reason I could afford to do that in Sydney is because my partner yeah. was still working in tech. If we, were, if we were both, if he hadn't been, I couldn't have afforded to do it. And by that time, you know, we started thinking about maybe we should start looking at saving up and buying a house. And I wasn't going to do that. By then, I think I was making about 40000 Australian by that time, which was probably, I was probably one of the better paid people. Yeah. He was paying me as much as he could. Like the margins in, in craft are not big. And I was like, I'm going to have to quit. I'm going to have to quit and go back to tech just, just so I can buy a house in Sydney. Honestly, that was the only reason. Yeah. And it, like, it's just, I, I mean, the whole part of like the customer's input and stuff, like, I mean, in consulting, it's the exact same. I, I mean, I'm literally begging for my end users to be like, tell me what you want to see in front of you so I can build it for you. And then you don't complain that you yeah. can't see it. Like I'm, at, oh, it's, yeah, it makes such a big difference when you get the end people being like, this is what I want. I'm like, thank you. Tell me, I'll do it. <laughs> it's like the same yeah. thing as like cooking dinner where I'm like, tell me what you want to eat and I will go make it. Instead of, yeah, whatever you want to make, I'll eat it. I'm like, no, don't do that. Don't do that to me. Like, I hate it. But I love that. And I think it's, oh, yeah, God, sorry. That does sound idyllic. And I mean, if you do open up and retire, I'm like, hey, Chris, I will be there in a few years. <laughs> well, because my mom did it. So she when she finally retired from tech, you know, she was building, she ended up, she started building websites for like small businesses out in Indiana where we live. She was assisted men. She did all this stuff. And then when she retired, she bought a quilting shop. And she is running their Facebook page and she's teaching classes and she's servicing these computerized long arm quilting machines. So she's still kind of tech, but she, she's running the quilting shop. She's living the dream. I love them. That is like the best 50-50 life I could hear of. This is great. <laughs> Maybe you should get her onto it too at some stage. I love it. <laughs> oh, she'd be amazing for you to talk to. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Right. So you're moving back into the tech world. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, we can fast forward a bit through there. But yeah, I, I, I did a bunch of interviewing. I had uh, actually went up several rounds with uh, with uh, the big G with Google because they were in a, they were in Sydney then at the time. Uh, didn't get through, um, which was disappointing. But I did end up getting a PHP developer job. And I just remember that one because I was coming. You know, I've been doing it. I've been using it. I've been building the shop website and everything. So it's not like I hadn't done any tech for three years. It was just stuff that I believed in and was passionate about. And I remember going to this interview in North Sydney and the guy being like, define polymorphism. And I was like, no clue. No, no. And I think that's what did it because I think I was honest. And he, I remember him laughing. And again, we're still mates to this day. But I just remember him being like, afterwards, I was like, why did you hire me? He was like, you were the only one that was honest. So like the stuff I knew I was good at, I said I was good at. And the stuff where I was crap, I, you know, because they had you self-rate on different areas. And I was like, HTML, uh, PHP, yeah, I'm pretty good at those. You know, uh, it was like, um, you know, databases, algorithms. I was like, one star, you know? And he was like, wow, okay. Most dudes, rec like four and five stars for everything. I'm like, well, I don't want to work for you if you're going to expect me to do that. Um, and yeah, so I got back into, into tech as a PHP developer. Um, I did that uh, at, at a few different companies. Um, 
And then, so I was at this one in North Sydney and it was an okay job. We were doing like SMS, premium SMS, which was like not soul fulfilling, you know, like people text in to get their horoscopes or a ringtone. And, but we built, you know, websites, we built the backend services to connect to the carriers. Like it was from a technical standpoint, interesting work. It was not like, you know, I had no illusions. We were making the world a better place, but hey, I had a mortgage by that time. Um, and I remember coming in one day and talking to this girl in the US who was also on our team. And she's like, there's rumors there's gonna be layoffs. And I was like, wait, what? And just then I got the tap on the shoulder going, hey, Chris, could you come join us in the conference room? And I was like, oh, can I curse on this podcast or do you, would you rather not? Go for it. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. And so I go in the conference room and there's like 40 or 50 of us in there. And I remember looking and I, for a moment, this wild moment, I was like, maybe oh. I'm in the good group. Maybe this is the group who are staying. And then I looked around and I went, no, these are the people I would get rid of. <laughs> crap and so yes they they were basically winding up like they were in the course of winding up in australia they like got rid of like 50 percent of the staff that day so i'm standing there i was like yep go for it give me the package whatever and i remember um as soon as it got i got out i messaged my husband like yep it was me i got the sack uh and i i went up the street to the craft store to my friends at the craft store and i was like can i borrow your computer for just a minute and I went on to um, one of my crafting message boards and I was like, yep, just got the sack. If anybody's got any jobs, please send them through. I'm going to the pub. <laughs> and two of my girlfriends, we went to the pub and just proceeded to drink our faces off on sangria. And um, I got a call from uh, someone who'd seen my message, who I'd worked with in the industry and was like, because by that time on my team as a developer, I realized that the writing of the code was not the bit that I really loved the most. We started, we were working in, an, it was my first time really working in an agile way. My team, um, we, we were doing weekly showcases and I kind of took the lead on those because the other guys didn't like talking. So I would show off what we'd built. I wrote documentation for our users because they didn't want to do it and I felt it was needed. Um, I actually went and ran a training, ran training in our LA office for our team. So I'd been kind of doing more of that. And I talked to him, I was like, yeah, I was thinking of, I hear that there's this job where I can do more of like that and less of the writing code. That's what I want to do. And he's like, well, we've been thinking about, we need like a business analyst. You think you could do that? And I was like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> he's like, all right, well, if it doesn't work out, you can always, I know you can always, you know, yeah. write code. So I went like 24 hours later, hungover as a dog. I went in for the interview and I, I had the job as a business analyst. And I did that for three years for them. I, I wrote spec documents, requirements documents for all their new projects. I worked very closely with the dev team. We defined, um, we, were, we weren't doing continuous deployment back then. It was still very much like waterfall development where we had checkpoints along the way, but I, helped got, to I got to help define that process. Um, and I loved it, you know, uh, getting to go to, I started going to customer meetings with one of the salespeople um, as, like, as like the technical person. And so I'd be sitting at the table and she'd be doing the sales pitch and you're sitting at the table and there'd always be some like architect, you know, and you'd have to drop some of your credentials so that they would respect yep. you and know that you actually knew what you were talking about. Um, and so that's because I know it's that's a transition. A lot of people have reached out to me going, you know, I want to be like a, a BA or a, a scrum master or a product manager, but like you can't get that job unless you've had that job. Like, I feel like I found a little bit of a backdoor because I found someone who who knew me well enough to trust me to give me that opening to prove myself. And I was able to do it. So that was the big transition 
away from being a hands-on coder. Oh, I love that. And I think, I mean, what's really standing out to me at least is like that really kind of trying to find that balance of like, well, look, I, let's be realistic. I need a job and I need to pay my mortgages. And it's very realistic point, point of view for a life. But then also like, how do I find work that is fulfilling, both not just as like interesting as technically, of like, yes, this yeah. is actually keeping my brain going. And also I'm like, hey, I'm doing something and finding some, like I, I'm, I'm obsessed. Like I'm loving the career that you've had so far. <laughs> So yeah, I, I was a BA for many years after that in different companies. Like I was at a digital agency in down in the rocks, working very cool, funky little digital agency. I also did, um, uh, that was the second time I got uh, laid off. Uh, Cause I think people don't talk about that. I was like, no, I've had two different redundancies. That was because, you know, they missed out. <clears throat> when you're in a small company, they miss out on a couple big deals. They can't afford to keep you anymore. Um, I, I ended up, I was doing a course by, that, that's another way that I've got good jobs. I should just say that. Like, I've had a lot of jobs in Sydney. Very few of them did I get, <clears throat> excuse me, by applying to a job opening. Most of them were through my yeah. network. And so I had been doing, uh, to get the BA certification, you know, there's the IIBA certification. I thought maybe I'll do a cert. I don't know. Maybe that'll help me, like, with my career or something. So I started um, doing a course to do that, and I met some really lovely people. And then when I got laid off, one of them was like, oh, we're hiring at one of the big banks. Do you want to come? And I was like, I don't think I want to work for a big bank. But by that, I was like, I'll yeah. give it a go. I'll give it a go. So I got a technical BA role at one of the big banks. I had to go buy all <laughs> fancy business clothes because I'd never worked in, like, a corporate office, yeah. you know? I was like, I just wear, like, hoodies and jeans. So I went and bought all new clothes, and I hated it. I hated it. Like, I don't want to fault the company. Um, like, they were great. Lots of training, interesting projects. I was in a, the team I was doing, like, I was writing, like, spec and working with a team on, like, back-end server refreshes, where, like, the, the definition of success is no one notices we changed anything. <laughs> I can't get excited about that. It's just not for me. That, that's not the kind of project I get satisfaction yeah. from. Um, and so I was, like, calling my girlfriends every day, being like, get me out of here, get me out of here. And one of them uh, was like, yep, yeah, I have a role going uh, at my company, and I think you'd be great for it, so let me refer you. Um, and I, I ended up doing that. Um, I can mention that one, of course. I, I went, basically worked at MI9, which was Channel 9's joint venture with Microsoft. You know, she's like, we need like a, a, a scrum master, kind of, you know, BA delivery person. Um, and the one thing I do want to call out about this transition, because this was in terms of salary, this was a big jump for me, and it was entirely based on my friend. Because when they were like, when the recruiter was like, okay, how much money do you want? My friend called me up. She's like, the recruiter's going to ask you, how much money do you want? And I was like, okay, well, you know, like the most I'd made up to that point was like 80,000 Australian. And so I was thinking like maybe like 90. And she goes, Chris, as your friend, ask for 110. And I was like, oh my God, that's a lot of money. I was like, but she, because I would never have gone for that much. And she was like, I'm just telling you, ask for that. And I did, and they gave it to me. And I'm like, I like, because a lot of people are like, how do you, how do you make those big jumps? It's, it's because someone told. Yeah. I'd never negotiated in my whole career. Even back when my that first job in London, my husband was making by the time we left, five or six thousand pounds a year more than me solely because he negotiated when he came in, and I hadn't. I was just so excited. Someone wanted to hire me for this. Are you kidding? I wasn't going to ask for more money. And so that's something I do now with young people when I coach them. I'm like, ask them for it's, more money. Ask them for more money. When they ask, when they ask you, you got them on the hook. Ask for more money. And so very, th thank you, Jody. That, that was, it was massive in terms of my career. Um, 
because it, it has an impact. You know, when you go to a new job and they ask you, that will be based on your last yeah. salary. So ask for more. Um, and I think especially, like, I mean, I like the fact that you mentioned, like, ask for more money, but I think it's also just to the people out there who are like in listening they have the power to be like sharing it to someone like i mean for the last job hunt yes. i went through like i had so many people being like okay this is what i'm on this is what the numbers usually are in the company like figure out where you want to fit in there ask for whatever you want and i'm like absolutely nobody fi- i mean glassdoor and all these kind of things exist and it's like yes you can do your research but that research goes only so far let's be very real like real numbers are hard to find unless someone talks to you and you're like this is reasonable you deserve more go for it like it makes such a difference it's an uncomfortable yeah. conversation. It is. I get that. Yeah. And and even with like some of my friends now in Sydney, we uh, I, I help run the Sydney Technology User Group. And I remember we had a breakfast meetup pre-COVID, just before pre-COVID. And we were going to do a whole meetup around salaries. And we kind of looked around the table, the four of us, and went, well, I'll, I'll <laughs> say if you'll say. And, you know, and we shared our numbers and we'd never done that before. And it was like eye-opening, the range. And I think maybe for one or two of them, it was like, I need to be asking for more money. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, share, share that information. It makes a very big difference in people's lives, like such a big difference, but yeah, Yeah. sorry, that was a tangent. (laughs) Ah, well, but so, so channel nine is where I made the next big transition into being into people management. Cause then when channel nine IPO'd and everything, they basically bought it out from Microsoft. So it became fully, now it's nine digital. Um, so I've still got lots of mates who work there. So now it's nine digital. Oh, Um, but yeah, I was there when it was a bit more sort of startup being independent. And now it's, it's, it's actually is. Because we built, like my team, we built the Jump In app, which was now, it's the Nine Now app. It's their like live TV streaming app. We yeah. built that. Um, I get my Love Island fix on that every other weekend. I love it. <laughs> I was working on the team and, you know, we would go into the office for State of Origin and we'd all get pizza because we were there. You know, we built like this live polling app for Big Brother, which I remember being really excited about. Like, I mean, just <laughs> but like, you know, we built this app and we were going to have thousands of people dialing in like, like, you know, um, Gretel Colleen was going to mention <laughs> our thing on love TV or whoever it was. And uh, so it was fun. And then we had a big restructure and a bunch of people left. And um, one of the we, uh, we had a woman who got promoted to be the, you know, the she took over as the, the head of the tech team. And she called me in and she's like, I want to promote you to lead the whole TV development team. And I was like, what? Um I'd never managed a team before. I'd never had direct reports before. I I didn't know what CapEx or OpEx was. I didn't know how to approve anyone's expenses. Um, and she was like, no, I think you'd be good at it. I want you to do it. You know the team, you know everyone. And it was, I went to lunch with my husband to think about it. And it was, as you say, do the yeah. scary thing. I was like, okay, you know, I can do it. I can do anything for a year. <laughs> I can put up with anything for a year. Um, so I took it on. Um, it was a steep learning curve. Um, I've given a talk about this. I gave a talk at Yao Perth a few years ago, which is on YouTube, uh, called taking the management leap, which is everything I had to learn to, to, to be a manager, you know, how to run a one-on-one with someone where you're not just sitting there going, how you going? (laughs) Yeah. You know, uh, um, like, uh, how to have, like, it's still my biggest growth area is how to have, like, the challenging conversations, how to give someone critical feedback. Like, I tend to fall into, you know, the, the ruinous empathy as opposed to radical candor, you know, where you're like, no, I need to tell you that you're doing this wrong um, as opposed to maybe could you, I, like, you're, I love you, but, like, could you just do it like that? Like, no, I need to not be like that. Um, I still struggle with that. But I learned to heap, you know, and I think also I learned a lot about our business, uh, you know, because we built websites and people put ads on them and I didn't quite understand how 
money actually we got money <laughs> so i went to like the accounting team and i like the finance team i was like explain to me like i'm five how our business makes money and and so i learned about the advertising business like i i just learned a lot i built a lot of i started doing a leadership that's my other big tip if you want to go into people management is they had like a a, a potential leaders training course and i got fast-tracked into it because i was actually being a leader now um, and I got to, I got some external coaches to give me feedback on areas of blind spots. I made some good connections with other people in the company who were doing that transition as well. And, you know, we still, I, one of them, I still exchange emails with, and we still would catch up for lunch back in Sydney. So if you can get access to any sort of leadership program like that, do it. Even if you you don't think you necessarily want to be a leader because the stuff you learn will be useful in whatever job you're in. Yeah. Oh God. I think. Something like, sorry, just listen to this. I mean, I'm going to be doing a leadership course next two weeks time anyway. And I'm like, oh, just exciting. I'm like, it worked out really well. <laughs> it's like, great advice. Dump it in. Awesome. Oh, so good. Even stupid things like doing your, doing your like Myers-Briggs and stuff like that. You know, it's all nonsense. But at the same time, you're like, oh, I'm thinking about myself. I'm thinking about my strengths. Like, it's really good to do. It works. I like it. And I think, I mean, something else, like I know you mentioned, like a lot of jobs were from your network and stuff. I mean, network is important. Networking is important and stuff, right? But what really stands out is like the fact that you're making such an effort of like reaching out and trying to understand the business and everything that's around you. And like, it's not just like, hey, I met this person at a meetup and I called them for a job. Like, this is very much like building relationships, which is a very different thing to just networking. Like there is, I feel like there's a very distinct divide, but. Well, I think, I think people think networking is a bit of a dirt. It's like a cheat code. And they're like, oh, you, you know, it's like, oh, you you didn't. You, it's like that's what salespeople do or something like that. And it's yeah. like by this point in my career, I, actually, it was I was probably I, I think it was like 20, 2000. I can't write. I have to go back on my blog. But I was in Sydney for a good like 10 years before somehow I discovered Girl Geek Sydney. It was called Girl Geek Dinners back then. It was an offshoot of this, you know, international group. And the idea was to get women in tech together to have dinner every now and then. And I saw that they were, they were doing an event. I think it was at Google's offices there. And um, I didn't want to go by myself because I was still very nervous. This was earlier in my career. And I took two girlfriends with me. And I, for the first time in my life, was in a room of 70 women in tech. And I was talking to a guy about this recently, one of my colleagues here at Amazon, lovely guy. He was like, Chris, why, why do they need to have women-only events? Explain to me because, you know, I don't understand. And I was like, look, I get it. You, you've got the privilege of not understanding why we do that. The, I was always the only girl on the team, you know. And to be in a room and look around and it was all women who look like me, who are in this industry talking about technical things, I had never experienced that in like 30 years. And it was so amazing. Um, and so I started, I got really involved in Girl Geeks. I gave my first tech talk. I talked about nerdy knitting at Girl Geeks um, at Google. Um, I did, and the great thing is once my mom visited from Australia, from the US, which is a long way, and it happened to coincide with the Girl Geeks where I was giving my talk. And so she got to come to Google and see her daughter give a talk at a geek, Girl Geek meetup. And it was like, life goal. Um, <laughs> So happy. And, and so, yeah, that was how, what started me, got me started on like uh, giving meetup talks and stuff. Because like I said, I did speaking and theater, but then I w went into tech. So I hadn't really used it other than like giving, you know, product demonstrations. Um, and so I started doing more meetup talks and getting involved in helping to organize Girl Geeks. You know, we did the She Hacks hackathons every year and I was involved in that. And yeah, I, I think when you build out your network, you do it without the expectation that you're going to leverage it someday. Yeah. You know, you're, you're just... 
you're just being a nice person and making friends and helping people like not make the same mistakes you did. And the great thing is that when you do, when you are in trouble, what you usually find is your network will be there for you. Yeah. And I think especially if like, if that is what you're going in there with, it's quite different. Like it's very easy and clear to tell (laughs) when people are coming in with like, Hey, get me a job (laughs) or like, Hey, I just, I'm here and I just kind of want to be here. And I like the community that this is. It's not necessarily like a conscious thing of that's what you're doing. It's just, it's nice and it fits yeah. in and it works. <laughs> yeah. And so channel nine was fun. I, I learned a lot about running a team. Um, but honestly, TV, I, I kind of realized at that point, I was like, all right, I've done TV. I don't want to work in advertising supported anymore. Like I, I, I just, that's not scratching that little itch in my soul. So <laughs> I need to move on. And I ended up with two different opportunities in front of me. One was uh, a company in in Sydney that was going to pay me a lot of money to be their head of product. And I went in and, uh, you know, the interview was like, design, if we were going to build a section to sell X, how would you do that? And I was like, I've I've done e-commerce, honey, I can tell you. So, you know, and I was like, I could nail this job. It's a head of job. Like, if I want to go down the road, like, this is a good one. The other opportunity uh, was for half the money, um, but it was for a little Sydney startup called Canva. And I went to their offices in Surrey Hills. And actually, that's actually, no, they weren't even advertising. I went to a meetup in an alley in Sydney between Dropbox and Canva. And I saw Canva founder Cliff speak. And I was like, wow, this company sounds really cool. I should look into them. I looked them up and they weren't offering any, they were only having tech jobs at that point. And I was no more a hands-on coder. I was like, I'm not going to get hired as a developer. But I emailed Cliff and I was like, yeah, I saw you speak. Um, I, I really, I think, you know, I have a lot to offer. And, and, and he'd been emailing my husband, actually, because they were trying to poach any coder <laughs> they could get in Sydney at that time. And I was like, you're chasing the wrong person in the family. <laughs> and he's like, well, why don't you come in and, and have a cup of coffee and we'll hear about you then. And so I talked my way into a job at Canva as their first uh, sort of non, uh, their first non-coder member of the tech team, basically. I think my job title was like all-rounder. Um, but you say I, it was, I had those two options and I remember really agonizing over it. Like, should I, should I go Canva? Like, it's more fun. They're in Surrey Hills. They have a chef who Instagrams <laughs> breakfast every day. Like, ah, versus this job, which is like a bit more, seems like more of like a great career direction. And, but Canva were like, I was like, you know what? I made, I literally was up at night making pros cons lists. And I was, I literally at one point Googled how to make a decision. <laughs> like, and, and I saw some advice that was like, if you're really agonizing, the good news is it probably doesn't make that much of a difference one way or the other. Um, and so I was like, all right, uh, I'm going to go with Canva. It just, it was a gut feel. I went with Canva. As I said, it was a big pay cut. I even tried to negotiate. I pushed because I've learned that lesson, trying to negotiate. And yeah. I'm like, they're a small startup. They cannot match. Um, so my salary went backwards for the first time in my career. Uh, but I was willing to do it, and and I loved the team. I pitched in. I you know we were launching Canva for work. At one point, I was like writing their email campaigns. I was like, whatever I can do to add value here. Um, and then I kind of started as we started branching out into the whole. Like we were like forty people at that point, and then we started breaking into teams who were working on separate things. And I was like, all right, somebody needs to kind of be across what everybody's doing to make sure like we're very flat structure but like I just want to make sure that this team isn't going to break something that that team's depending on and so I kind of I started um taking responsibility for when we did our releases of making sure everybody in the company knew what was in the release at one point I went to Mel and I was like I think we should hire some QA people 
And she was like, really? Because our testing at that point, you know, early days of a startup is literally everybody stop work for 30 minutes and use the site <laughs> and tell us what's wrong. And I was like, no, I've managed QA people before. I think I know what to, how to hire them. And so she trusted me. So I hired the first two QA people, um, two lovely guys in Manila. We brought them over to Sydney so I could sit with them and we trained together and worked out. One of them was going to do the apps. One was going to do the website. We worked out our testing plans. It was so much fun. Um, I really loved it. And, you know, we, we were like, it was, they were yeah. going up. People were getting very excited, you know, and now there's a lot of hype around Canva. And I remember at the time, a lot of the young people in the company, I was the, I was more of a minority being over 30 than I was being a woman <laughs> at Canva. Everyone was so young. Um, everyone was so young. But I was like, I've been through this in 99, 2000. Like, I am here because I want to be here. I believe in the product. I don't care if I don't get rich. Like, I'm lucky enough that my partner can, you know, I've got, I'm very, very fortunate in that respect that I could take that. Not everyone could have, could have done that. Um, and yeah, so I was at Canva for a good year and a half, um, learned a ton. Uh, and I, I'm still, I, I go over there and have lunch where I used to um, in Surrey Hills. And I just love the team there. They're, they're the best. And, and I was at there at kind of an inflection point where they went, as I said, from one team working on one thing to being many teams working on many things. And so a lot of the stuff, you know, that I was working on with them of like trying to get our release cycles down of, of and introducing more rigor into our testing process, they've now just like really embraced that. And it's great to see some of the seeds that I got to help plant are really paying off for them now. So love the Canva guys. This is so interesting to hear, especially so one of my best friends here, Sam, he actually works at Canva now. Like he started at this at the start of the year. So it's interesting. Oh, nice. Hearing what, how, like how his teams and stuff work, right? Like I hear like him in a team. It's very different. Exactly. Now. But that's what I mean. Like I hear him in a team and he talks yeah. about his QA. Like he talks about all the things that you basically helped set up. So it's really interesting for yeah. me to listen to this where I'm like, oh my God, this is like two worlds combining and how everything kind of built into its place. It's very cool. Yeah. And I, I loved Canva, you know, I could have stayed there. And, and the, I guess I kind of realized working in a small company is good. You could wear, wear different hats and have different opportunities. Um, but I, I had, by that point, I had been invited to do some tech conferences. And so I got to meet uh, Dave Thomas, who ran Yao Conference, um, which many people in Australia will know. Yao, Yao did tech conferences around Australia. And Dave was looking for someone to help it was really the role was around community. And by that time I was like, I was helping to run Sydney tech leaders. You know, I was still heavily involved in girl gigs. I was going to lots of meetups and I was like, wow, someone wants to pay me to focus on the stuff that is my hobby. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, and, and I remember also when Dave was like, how much money would you want to come work for me? And I was like, and so I did that. I reached out to some people who were like, I was like, the closest thing I guess would be like an evangelist role. And so I was on Glassdoor. I had a couple of people in Sydney who were lovely. Like I remember meeting up with Jack Skinner, who's great developer Jack, um, who gave me some guidance. And I told Dave, <laughs> I gave him a number that was 50% more than I was getting at Canva. And he went, yeah, cool, you're worth it. I was like, this guy believes in me. Like he trusts me and believes that I can, the value I can add to Yao. Um, so I did, that was, it was a hard decision to make to leave Canva. Like I, I, I am very happy to see them succeed and I'm, you know, their numbers keep going up and I will be very happy. They, the people who, who are there deserve to be rewarded for all the blood, sweat and tears they've put into it. I'm so happy to have been a tiny, tiny part of it. 
But yeah, I went and worked at Yao, which is probably, you know, that put me on the road to meeting you. Realistically, Because yeah. I started going all over Australia and doing events of like, my job was going to, I went to like three to five meetups a week. I really just met people all around Australia and started doing bigger conferences. And, you know, we went to Asia and doing stuff there. And it was just, oh, loved it. Oh, God. It's what I would do. Again, that's probably also, that's my other retirement option. <laughs> it's just like... You know, well, this is the thing. No one knows what's going to happen with tech conferences anymore. But it was it was fun while oh, it lasted. Yeah. Like oh. as in oh, Michelle played for it. Like I think I think I had a similar enough role for a while. Uh, yeah. Oh God. So Michelle took the yeah role that, when I left. I was it. like, I feel like it might have been the change, but I couldn't tell for sure. So it was like it might have been it. But yeah, God. Like every time I met her, I'm like, I just this is this the ideal job? <laughs> like, is this what I want? Yeah. So, so I got to meet Michelle as part of the Melbourne tech scene. Like, love her. She's she's a good mate of mine. And um, you know, like, I was very happy at Yao. Like, I loved Yao. And then out of the blue, one day, Amazon called. And they were like, oh, yeah, someone told us to reach out to you. I was like, yeah, right. Sure they did. You're a recruiter. <laughs> like, who? Who was it? You know? And they're like, oh, Frank Arrigo. And I'm like, oh, Frank. Everybody knows Frank. Yeah. You know? I was like, yeah, Frank said you'd be really good for this role. And I knew Frank had gone to work for AWS. And it turned out that the role was basically being Frank's counterpart in Sydney of managing a team of solutions architects. And I was like, look, I've I've been up with, you know, with Google a couple times at that point. Like, I've just accepted I'm not going to work for any of those big companies. I don't want to work for any of those big companies. I'm very happy, you know. And so I, I deliberately was like, I'm not going to allow myself to even get interested in this. I was like, all right, so... You know, what would I be doing? I've not been a solutions architect. Why would you want to hire me to manage a team of solutions architects? And the recruiter was like, well, well, we don't have any women, to be honest with you, doing that role. And most of the people who are doing the role came up from being solutions architects. And we've kind of realized that that means that we all solve problems in the same way. We all think about things in the same way. And we need to start thinking about things differently. And your profile looked really interesting. It aligns to some of what we think we need in the team. And I want to talk to you. And I was like, that is it's a like good answer. The ideal pitch for a role. I like it. I was like, he's like, yeah, you'd be a, a groundbreaker. You'd be the first one. And I was like, you did your homework. You knew how appealing that would be to me. Ah. And, and so, yeah, I went in and I interviewed with him. But again, I was like, I'm, I'm very happy in my role. I don't need to leave. I'm, and I think that's the ideal time, honestly. The ideal time to like talk to someone who has roles when you don't need to go. Because I was like, you know, maybe it was like I projected an air of like, I don't need you. And so that made them want me. I don't know. But I was like, yeah, whatever. And then they, yeah, they made me an offer. And I, again, I really, I honestly made myself like sick over that decision. Because I was like, what am I doing walking away from a role that I love? And I remember meeting Michelle and talking to her about it. And I was like, am I stupid? Am I doing this? I'm like, like, would you want to do my role? And she was like, oh, God, yes. And I was like, Hang on a second. Dave, <laughs> let me introduce you to someone. And so honestly, getting Michelle in there was one of the things that allowed me to like, if because I was like, it's going to be in good hands. All the stuff we've done to build, Michelle is just going to make it even better. And so I was very, very happy to see. I remember for the first six months, she would keep texting me being like, people keep saying, oh, you're the new Chris. <laughs> She'll be like, I'm like, oh, that's terrible. No, Michelle is amazing. Michelle's different. She brings different things to it. And uh, I was so happy that, that she's just seeing everything that they've done. But yeah, I, 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 and Amazon was scary. I think I had a little bit of that, like, I don't, I, I don't know that, you know, my companies, I'd worked companies that used AWS. I was familiar with it. Um, I played with it a little bit myself, but I'm like, oh my God, can I do this role? Like, <laughs> do the things that scare you. And I have, 
uh, been there more than three years now. And I mean, you've now moved to Munich and everything's kind of like, it's another big career jump that way in terms of, yes, let's move again. (laughs) Yeah, well, that was, yeah, I mean, uh, I was very happy with the team in Sydney and everything, but we had at this January 2020, no, sorry, before that, November 2019, um, I got invited to speak at my first European tech conference. Had never done that before. I was like, ooh, I'm international now. (laughs) So came over to Vilnius, Lithuania and Kiev, Ukraine, and Rod came with me. That's his, that's his retirement dream is just to carry my luggage when I take him around the world. <laughs> and and uh, we're like, we have three days at the end of this trip. Let's, let's go somewhere we've never been on vacation. And we picked Munich. And we're like, oh, it's fun. We had a lovely dinner. We took a train across Germany. Everything's green. Like, it was just really nice. And then we got back to Australia. And that was the summer, 2019, 2020. We got back and it was 40 degrees and everything was on fire oh, yeah. in New South Wales. That was the bushfire yeah. season. Sydney was choked with smoke. People were wearing N95 masks. And I'm sitting there like thinking back to like green fields of Germany. (laughs) And I was like, damn. We started joking about it. Like, wouldn't it be funny to like move to Europe for a while? Wouldn't it be funny? (laughs) Ha ha ha. And then in January, I had to go to to the US for a big conference, January 2020, the last big travel before COVID. And I was sitting in Chicago in a snowstorm trying to get home to, to Australia. And I started idly searching the Amazon jobs portal for jobs in Germany. And I realized, oh, my God, there's a developer relations job going in Munich. And I messaged Rod. And I was like, I know this, you know, we were kind of just joking. But, like, would you be interested in moving to Germany? And his response, bless him, was, I'm installing Duolingo (laughs) right now. And I was like... Because, you know, I spoke a little bit. I had done a summer program in high school, so I spoke a little bit of German, but, like, hadn't used it in, like, 25 years. And so did start, did the interviews and everything remotely as COVID was locking down. And so the whole time last year, I was like, at any moment, this, they're just going to be like, sorry, Chris, too hard. You know, well, we'll just we'll just go with someone here locally because, like, the embassies were closed. So once I got the job offer, we couldn't get a visa until, like, June or July when the German embassy opened back up in Australia. Um, you know... Uh, it was just, we had to apply for that exemption to leave <laughs> Australia, you know. I had to get all the documents together and everything. So it was really, to pack up our house. One of our cats, unfortunately, passed away um, during the COVID lockdown, which was really heartbreaking. And it was just, last year was tough. Oh, sorry, no. God, this yeah. is, yes, it was last year. It was early last year. Last year. I'm like, it's been more <laughs> yeah. than a year now. Um, it was tough. And finally, it all came together, and we left at the end of August, so... One year, I've been on my team here one year now. Um, and we spent, I said, about five, five months over winter in lockdown here in Germany, which wasn't great. Funny, yeah. um, but things this summer have been really good. Oh, I'm very glad for you to like, have settled in. And this is, I am very excited to see where it all leads to next. Like as in what the Europe was going to be like, the whole adventure out there. I'm obsessed. Like, honestly, I don't think there's any better choice. We'll be back. Yeah. We're coming back. Like, that's the thing. I was always a... Uh, uh, it was always that uh, we're going to go for a couple years and then yeah. we'll come back. And it was very convenient. We both have offices here. It just seemed we don't have kids. It's like, why wouldn't we go? Like, why wouldn't you go? And I know people we were talking about it the other night because I met up with another Australian, Luke Chadwick, who, who's from Victoria, who worked at REA. Many people might know he's in Munich and we, he's a digital nomad. And we caught up for beers just like two nights ago. And we're talking. about. And I said, do you feel weird? Like, I know people who, when they're away from their family for three weeks, are, like, sobbing messes. And I've got another friend, Aussie friend, who lives in America, who's always like, oh, my God, so-and-so sent me Tim Tams and Vegemite, and I might cry. And I don't, I mean, not going to, I don't mean to sound harsh. I don't actively, like, miss stuff. Maybe it's because I yeah. know I'm going back. 
So I'm just like embracing. We're just embracing the adventure. Like we're here. I have Zoom. I can talk to people. Yes, I miss being able to give people a hug. But I'm going to see them again. So why would I be sad? Why would I not just try and make the best of it and embrace it? And he agreed. That's what we're both trying to do. Right. Oh my God, Chris, I love this. So like, I love how the fact that you went from... I love how you're like, we might talk for 30 minutes. <laughs> Like, no, yeah, God, I kind of, I mean, <laughs> that was never going to happen, was it? <laughs> like, yeah. But I'm so glad. And I think, I mean, I set that kind of like, I set the 30 to 40 minutes as just like, hey, look, I don't want you to feel like you have to kind of go over the board. But like, the conversation goes, I'm here for it. Like, you're like people with a lot of different jobs. And I was like, oh, honey, we're going to go there. I know. <laughs> it goes wherever. And I'm like, yeah. it'll be fine. But I love like how we went from quite literally building McDonald's UK to like all these different things and the craft and like all the little, I'm so in love with the career that you've had. And I love the reasonings behind all the different changes and decisions. And I'm so glad that you shared that with us. Well, and I don't want people to think I planned that because at no point along that, like it's it now I can look back and I think it's a good skill to develop is to be able to tell your story in a way, you know, that, that makes it into a narrative. But at no point along there did I have any clue of how it was going to go. Like each does you have to make decisions in the moment. What works for you? What works for your people have different family situations completely get like some of the choices I've made, like being able to take less money. Not everyone has that luxury. I 100% understand that. So being able to have your company fly you over, like I'm an incredibly privileged position. Totally get that. And so that's why I love doing things like this. Like the thing that makes me feel good is trying, not pulling the ladder up behind, you know, trying to make sure that other people benefit from that. They don't, you know, yes, you can get sacked. You can make (laughs) giant career changes. You can go work in a craft store for a while to get your head on if you need to. Like, it's not going to ruin your chances in the industry. It absolutely won't. I love, honestly, the best place to leave leave this off today. Like, go take all the jobs, do the scary thing. And I think that's a perfect way to wrap it up. Like, we'll be back again in two weeks time with another episode. And until then, take care of yourselves if you are still in some kind of lockdowns anywhere around. Yeah. Please, Australia, I want to come back. You know, everybody get vaccinated. Let me back in. Perfect. I'll see you soon then, I guess. In that case, we'll be back around in no time at all.